millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, if yesterday was a banging night out that ended in A&E, I think today, day six of the 2021 Australian Open, the first fully crowdless day, I think today was the New Year's Eve house party that you feel you have to go to because it's New Year's Eve. Uh, So you show up, you do the rounds for a couple of hours and then you sneak off to a bedroom and uh, go to sleep. (laughs) Or it's just the hangover the day after where you just sit there and just drink cups of tea and not answer any calls. The hangout over the day after the the banging night out that ends in A&E. Yeah, when you're just trying to sort of pick up the pieces and clear up the mess. Yes, okay. Mm. Well, that that maybe works better. And wait for your next party in a day's time. Yes. (laughs) It's the regroup day. Mm. It's it's freshers week when you, (laughs) when in my case, you have one big night out and you think that's it and you can just have a normal week and then you find out you've got to do it again the next night. But so what you do is you just insert little rest days. Yeah, I don't understand human beings that enjoyed freshers week genuinely look back and say, I enjoyed freshers week. I don't understand that (laughs) on a human level. Um, They walk among us, Catherine. (laughs) Apparently so. Uh, It's not that I didn't enjoy today. I just, uh, I don't know. It it just, I mean, there were no crowds. We knew there were going to be no crowds. That that was a shame. Um, How how much... How much was the fact that there were no crowds a contributing factor to the fact that today was a was a bit of a damp squib? I mean, this has been the damp squib h- half of proceedings. Yeah, that's uh, you very know, true. we've 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 made no effort to conceal that on the podcast. You know, there have been highlights. We'll we'll big those up as best we can uh, on today's pod. But how how much was it the crowd, David? I, I think it was definitely part of it in that. You know, we're we're all. I I did feel a bit of a on a downer just because yesterday was so exhilarating, and 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 it has been such a lovely feeling to have crowd noise again because we've we've been without it, and it has delivered this last week. So that 
that was in the back of my mind. I mean, there were moments I commentated on in the way that I would have done with a crowd, and then there was silence, and I had to say, oh, oh, I forgot there's nobody here. You know, quite open, because it's you may as well just be honest and admit it's weird. It is weird. At the same time, I feel like for people like us, certainly me anyway, I, I shouldn't speak for you two, but I just, I'm so... I love watching the sport so much when it's when it's tight and when it, the stakes are high that not having the crowd gives me something else. And we we definitely f- tapped into that at the US Open uh, and throughout some of the other events because kind of we, we didn't have any choice. It's either embrace that or be down about it all. And if you actually listen and watch, and especially today, as this was the first match I've ever seen of Nadal at a Grand Slam, and we had it at the O2, but at a Grand Slam, especially with the little question marks about the back and all that sort of thing, and being being pushed as hard as Cameron Norrie could pos- possibly push him, I loved just watching Dal compete in this raw style without any cutaways to the crowd or anything. Just so pure to be able to... I felt like a like I'd sneaked into his private match and could just watch it. And and so I got something from that and I was intrigued by some of the matches, but exhilarated, not really. And it is it is more, more pure than other Grand Slam tennis or any tennis that we've seen without crowds because they were unprepared for this. There's no attempt to conceal the empty seats. There's no uh, crowd noise track on standby. It is exposed before your eyes and ears. Mm. Yeah, I agree with David. There's certainly something to gain depending on the match. I feel like I got most of what was to gain out of it from last year. You know, we'd had a few months of it and I'm kind of ready for crowds again. But certainly the Nadal match, I agree with David there. The Medvedev match, which we'll get on to, ended up being quite helpful that there weren't crowds because you could actually hear what was going on and really see what was going on. Um, But then I think the one that really hit me today where we missed crowds was the night session on the Yvonne Goolagong Arena where we had Barty and Dumanor back to back and Mm. home players playing not in front of their own fans will just leave me sad and I think have have an impact on those matches. We'll come on to talk about it, but... Yeah, it was it was a pretty a pretty depressing sight on that court. I thought this evening, and maybe that is why they scheduled it not on those matches, not on the main court. That will remain a bafflement. I think why those two matches were were not on the main court. Um, yeah, Dimonor Fanini was the disappointment of the day for me. Little teaser there for you to keep you hanging on till we <laughs> we talk about it later in the show. Um, should we start with Nadal? Given that you've you've already mentioned Nadal, Nadal he beat Cam Norrie seven five six two seven five. Cam Norrie said before the match that he wanted to show the world what he's got. On the biggest stage he's ever played on in his life, crowds or no crowds, he's never played one of the big three before. This was this was a huge moment for him. I feel sad that he was denied the the roar of walking out to a full stadium and being present for Nadal walking out to a full stadium. But yeah. he showed the world he did what he intended to do. He did the best he could do. He showed the world what he's got. What he's got is nowhere near what Rafael Nadal's got. But that's okay. 
Absolutely. He won Rafael Nadal's respect out there today. Everybody goes onto the court with Nadal's respect to a degree because that's one of the reasons Nadal is so great that he's able to not walk on with any preconceptions that he's just going to wipe somebody's backside off the floor, off the court. You know, he's just, he doesn't go out there thinking like that. Uh, that was a terrible turn of phrase. <laughs> um, however, moving on. <laughs> he, I can't stop thinking about it now. The logistics of it. <laughs> Let's just pre- pretend it didn't happen. Uh, however, what... Norrie did. He he stood toe to toe with him for four games, and then he broke him for three two. And he's and he was he was playing like Nadal, th- hurtling around the court, slashing his forehand as hard as he could, hitting flat big backhands, and just he played his own game and he played it to win and he played it to impose himself and not let Nadal dictate. It's just that Nadal has another gear or two. And he was able to just immediately break him back for three all. And there were a couple of moments where I, I sensed that Norrie was just shaken to the boots by what he was facing because he's doing all he possibly can. And he's trying to be aggressive. And the Dow has that ability to either counterpunch off your your big right hand and just knock you flat on your back. Or what he does a lot is just absorb it once gets back to neutral in a rally and then take over um but Norrie can be proud of himself he went out there and he he won Nadal's respect when they shook hands at the end of that match as as just a competitor there was never a moment that Norrie backed down and went away um and from Nadal's perspective he was infused by and encouraged by his back he, he, I think he said this is the first time, didn't he, that, that he, he feels like the back's improved. Yes, he said today is the first day that he's felt an improvement in his back and that he can do his normal service motion again, which, as Matt pointed out on Twitter, is a good new. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and this comes after he took a day off yesterday for the first time, which he hoped would would make a difference, and it seems to have done. The, taking a day off is uh, it, Federer started that craze, didn't he? Wasn't it at the O2 a couple of years ago? He was like, "Oh, I've discovered this yes. this new thing of not practicing." It was after that match where he played Nishikori and hit himself in the face with a ball oh. that he was playing so badly. That was barely tennis. That yeah, match. he 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 decided that actually not playing would help him play better. Mm. Slightly different circumstances, but anyway. <laughs> Not practising is the new practising. Who does Rafael Nadal play in the next round? He now plays Fabio Fanini. Fanini beat uh, Alex uh, Dumanor 6-4, 6-3, 6-4 in, frankly, a match that that needed crowds. Um, I know Fanini said after the match, it was better for me without crowd, I think. And and look, he's he's probably right. But I I think he would have played better. Um, oh, I don't know. If, really? Everything I, I didn't see it, but everybody I heard from said how well he played. Oh, yeah. He was well, absolutely magnificent. I mean, seriously. Oh, wow. His, 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 top, his top level. Yeah. I, I, I feel like we've had the full Fabio Fanini experience in the last couple of days. One match ending in a, in a <laughs> war of words. <laughs> and uh, this was just a masterpiece of a performance. Really, he... I was high on Dumanor in this tournament, in this match. Mm. 
David Ferrer has got an 11-0 head-to-head record against Fellini. No Dumanor, way. Really? Yeah. And, I mean, Dumanor is not a carbon copy of David Ferrer, but there are definite similarities in terms of the style of play that he adopts and the approach uh, to the sport. Matt, I'll have you know that Alex Dumanor is the fastest server in the tournament <laughs> so far. Yeah, I was checking that speed gun today. He was getting nowhere near 238 kilometers There is an official graphic circulating. Even he was laughing Alex, yeah. yeah, he was, yeah. I mean, it's... But I don't know whether the graphic's wrong or whether the speed... Mm. There was a speed gun incident. But anyway, those are the official statistics. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, I thought De Manor would be able to really frustrate Fanini, extract some errors, but Fanini was having none of it. He was pulling him all over the court, lashing winners. He, he, he was amazing, really. And there's this debate, isn't there, about who benefits from no crowd and... I think of Fanini as a bit of a showman who mm, needs a absolutely. crowd. But I think for him, he can, of, he can often get distracted by a crowd and he can get carried away with showing off. I mean, he was deeply impressed with himself today. You know, he was <laughs> strutting around the court, but there was no one to give him that extra something. So he stayed focused on the match, I thought. And he was, he was absolutely wonderful. And I thought de Manor could be a block for Nadal. Now that Fanini's there... Fanini's actually a player who has caused Nadal problems in the past. I think perhaps in our mind, those problems are exaggerated. I mean, overall, the head-to-head is very strong in Nadal's favour. But Fanini's done a couple of things that people don't do against Nadal. He's beaten Mm. him on clay and he's beaten him from two sets down at a slam. And I think those have really stuck in our mind as, as big, impactful results. So he could trouble him for sure. Uh, Hannah on our Twitter said some Fanini backhands down the line are so clean and crisp I became a better person just watching them (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was it was a joy to watch really I mean that Fanini can make you feel that way Mm. can't he He, I mean he can make world-class players look ordinary yeah Mm. if you think what he's done to Murray in the past at a couple on a couple of occasions yeah in in Rome I think and and that match that that we watched some of David. Uh, on the centre court at Wimbledon. I know Murray fought his way through that, as it turns out. And Davis Cup as well. On, on I was going to say, the Davis Cup, not many people have beaten Murray in Davis yeah. Cup. And Fanini, I think, did in straight sets, didn't he? Mm, I've just written Nadal versus Fanini. Yes, please, in the notes. <laughs> well, um, it's, it was, the, the, the other thing is, I mean, I think you said, Matt, the, the two sets to love behind result. I mean, Fanini deserved that, but that was Nadal... In his yeah, in his trough, really the difficult time in his career when he when he'd lost his lost his confidence completely and lost his nerve. I felt uh, at that mm. point, um, but if Fanini comes out and plays the way he can, we could be in for an absolute belter. And I should say we are now just uh, two matches away from another all Italian clash. <laughs> it is just Sitsipas and Nadal in the way. Of, uh, of an Italian row. Could you imagine court. Berrettini against Fanini? Could you just imagine? <laughs> uh, now, um, Matteo Berrettini is through to the fourth round courtesy of a straight sets win over Karen Hachinov. Uh, not as straightforward as a, a straight sets win might make it sound. This was despite an abdominal injury. 
Um, after the match, uh, Berrettini described the injury. He said, I felt here, under my ribs, something that pulled. But the physio says that it's nothing that pulled, just maybe something that the muscle is not working properly. But I was really feeling it when I was serving. And then my mindset, then my mindset went a little, you know, away. <laughs> I loved that match. I mean, it was two Goliaths just in a slugfest, Hatchinov and him, and they were just heaving the ball at each other. Um, stupidly, I didn't look up the head-to-head and uh, decided to pick Hatchinov to win the match. Um, and, and I thought Berrettini was really, really good because he withstood what Hatchinov was throwing at him, and he was, the, he was the man. He was the alpha out there, ultimately. But then at 7-6, down, he then has this trainer on to, to give him this treatment in exactly the position that Novak Djokovic was getting his treatment last night. And he was clearly in some discomfort, um, and there was a real chance if Hatchinov had extended that to four, I'm not sure where we would have ended up, but he just wouldn't go away for Nini uh, of um, Berrettini. He, he just, he just hung in there. Djokovic went off court for his treatment, David, whereas Berrettini just sort of didn't skip a beat, whipped his shirt off and turned it into a sort of calendar shoot. <laughs> Got his abs out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want me to take my shirt? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Done. Not an issue. <laughs> no, do this all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Karen Hatchinov playing injured opponents. Hmm. Yeah. How, how is how Who else is, is that happening against? The one that sticks out for me is when he played Yannick Sinner at the US Open, and Sinner was cramping. And look, Hatchinov ended up winning that match. But I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying Sinner couldn't move. I remember he got a time violation because he couldn't get to the baseline in time to serve. And yet he was still managing to win points because Hatchinov was not playing it particularly well at all, tactically, intelligently. And I felt like a similar thing happened today. It was a it was a very brief period because, as you said, it happened late in that third set. And then Berrettini managed to sneak it through in a tie break. But there was definitely more, I thought, that Hatchinov could have won. And if he if he could have snuck that third set, as you said, who knows where Berrettini would have been physically in that fourth set. It was, felt like a missed opportunity for Hatchinov. Mm. He is too rarely not the alpha on court, mm. Hatchinov, I think, given who he is and what his game is. Yeah, agreed. There's, there's a... I don't know, there's he, a disconnect He's there. got Kyle Edmonds' coach, uh, old coach, when, when Kyle got to the semi-finals of the Australian Open, and it's a similar job, I think, trying to make this guy with these weapons and this physical presence, and obviously even more so in the case of Hatchinov, because he's such a big strapping guy, making him as dangerous with his game and with his presence as it could be, and he still isn't. He still comes across as a bit too nice, really. Um, he tried his heart out, but he was he was beaten narrowly, even in a straight sets match. But Berrettini just believes in himself more. I thought mm. it's a good advert. The success of uh, Berrettini and Fanini is a good advert for the ATP Cup as a warm up tournament for uh, for the Australian Open. Berrettini now plays Stefanos Tsitsipas, who put in just a very professional performance to beat Mikhail Immer. 94 minutes, no fuss, um, empty stadium for his post-match interview and he looked really relieved about it, didn't he? He looked, 
it was a different his whole demeanour was different for that yeah. post-match he, he interview hit all the right notes in that interview because yeah. he, he made it I, I was slightly worried that he might say oh I much prefer it without any phone you know, <laughs> yeah. or something like that I was that. thinking the same don't don't say it. It's okay. We all know it to be true, but you don't need to say it. Yeah. No, he got it right, and he said, "I miss them, and I hope they're back." But you know, I've got a job to do. All the rest of it. Um, but the first set was tight. I mean, he, it was five four before he broke, uh, and he was playing his lockdown practice partner in Emma. And you could tell they were they were pally at the end, but Immer just doesn't have the firepower. I mean, it, he looked he looked like a junior in those next two sets. Mm. The most interesting thing for me about Sitsipas is his net game, his athleticism, but even more so, just his kind of movement and anticipation. He just covers the net. I think the best of all these players. Uh, and I still feel like it's a really underdeveloped part of his game, which could be the the piece that ends up winning him major titles, I think, because I think it can separate him from team and Medvedev. The rest of his game may not be as good, but that bit may well help him overcome. He's got good he's got good instincts at the net, I think, and about when to approach that some of the others sort of do get there, but it feels like it's it's uh it's not on autopilot. It's more analog. And for yeah. for Sitsipas, it's digital. It's kind of you know slightly more instinctive for him. Um, so Sitsipas plays Berrettini in the other half of this bottom half. You might call it a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have Andre Rublev, uh, who won through in straight sets over Feliciano Lopez. Rublev doing what he does, beating all the players that he is expected to be still a cracking run from Lopez. I saw one uh, rally, one rally, and it was about yeah. 24 shots long. And Lopez just running, being made to run, you know, he's 39 years of age, and he's being made to run from pillar to post, and he's he's digging his little slice backhand up in order to stay in the rally and trying to find a way to get into the net or hit a forehand, and Rublev just won't let him, and eventually he just decides to go for broke on his drive backhand and hits the back fence. <laughs> it's it's the shot that apparently uh andrew uh twitter contributor in america was watching espn and apparently that made brad gilbert say that when he coached andy roddick 18 years ago he thought feliciano lopez had the worst back end he'd ever seen um and that he'd actually improved it significantly i mean i i always remember it as that i mean it's such it's still a, a real weakness he's got a great slice um, but I remember then he played, I think he played Tim Henman at Wimbledon one year and suddenly this single-handed backhand drive came alive in this one match and he just managed to pass Tim at the, the important moments. Um, but the fact that he's there in the third round, 39 years of age, and he's a tournament director, it, it was he gave a great, a great account of himself and he's a top bloke as well. By playing this tournament, he's extending his own record of consecutive Grand Slams played. It's either 75 in a row or 76 in a row. I can't remember. But does it go back to 2001? Does that sound about right? Where he's yeah. not Heck missed a, a slam? It's extraordinary. Amazing. Mm. That, that'll take some beating one day. Professional though, Rublev, isn't he? You're right. He doesn't lose mm. to people he shouldn't lose to. Mm. Mm. Yeah, really... <laughs> really sweet moment 
in the on-court interview afterwards. Have you seen this? I think I, yeah. I think I sent it to you all. I haven't um, seen it. What, what, what happened? <laughs> well, <laughs> he was congratulated on the win by the interviewer, who isn't who isn't somebody I know. Um, and he sort of really sheepishly, sort of really teenagery. You know how sort of fourteen-year-old boys just don't know how to talk to grown-ups or girls. And this was a grown-up girl. And he sort of doesn't make eye contact. And he goes, "Thank you. How are you?" <laughs> and <laughs> a slightly off she, mic. Slightly off mic, yeah. And she, she's obviously like, "Oh, this isn't the direction." But I don't want to be rude and not acknowledge the fact that it's. So she goes, "Oh." she'd sort of already started asking her next question and then backtracks and goes yeah I'm fine thanks and he realizes he's messed it up and goes even more sheepish and sort of starts playing with his hair (laughs) it's like it's like I imagine if you've got kids and you sort of invite invite some uh, your friends over for for dinner and you know your fourteen-year-old comes down the stairs, and you say, "Say hello to, <laughs> say hello to, to Helen and Mike, Josh," <laughs> and they sort of shuffle and go, oh, "Hi, how are you?" <laughs> it was a bit like that. It was sort of adorable, but deeply uncomfortable. He does. I do like. I don't. I've never met Andre Rublev. I don't think, but he does seem like a nice lad. Mm, I re- I really I like him. Yeah. yeah. He's another one whose off-court personality doesn't match up with his sort of on-court ruthlessness and relentlessness. Fury. Mm. He's, as you said, he's timid off-court and mm. he's anything but when he plays. Uh, he now plays Kasper Rude for a place in the quarterfinals. Oh, that'd Kasper be good. Rude beat Radu Albot. Unexpected. For me. He's under the radar, old That was my big prediction oh, overnight. Yeah, that was a... <laughs> That was a shocker, that was, Catherine. Yeah, I, what were you doing? I, I panicked. <laughs> you, you, were you distracted or something? <laughs> it, was really sli- it was really slim pickings overnight. <laughs> it wasn't so I thought, that yeah, slim. No shit. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, I mean, no yeah, offence to Radu. It was knee-jerk. It was knee-jerk. <laughs> Casper anyway. Rude has had a really... Americans would say he's had a low-key good good year or something, wouldn't they? You know, I think it's young people, not Americans. That Is it say that? All right, I um, mean, probably also American young people. Young Americans, British people wouldn't say low-key, would they? Yeah, he's had a low-key good year. No, yeah, would they? Back me up here, Matt. I feel like I probably need to say something here, don't I? Considering <laughs> I'm, I'm a young British person. Hmm. Um, I think I might say that. Yeah. No. I might, David. Oh, I'm so I'm so rattled by that. But anyway, Casper <laughs> um, Rude is is one of those that's way exceeding, I think, most people's view of what he would end up becoming. I'm not sure I ever formed a view of what he would end up becoming. <laughs> did you? Did you? Well, when have we ever hyped him up before the French Open last year? But I also didn't not hype him up. I just never. No, but when he got to the French Open last year, and he was making, a, he was, and he was doing, putting Dominic Team under great pressure, and looking like almost a mini team. He he's he doesn't let you down. You know, he shows up and he he gets to the round of sixteen. You know, and and he, and at tour events, he's getting to semi-finals. I feel like he would be over the last twelve months. I know we've gone a lot without tennis, but I would say he's one of the most improved players in tennis. Yeah, agreed. 
But I also agree that I don't have huge expectations or low expectations of him. It's just sort of watching his career play out, I suppose. But yeah, he's good. He's very good. I'll make it a priority to form some opinions about Casper Ruud. Particularly for the clay court season, because yeah. he's going he's gonna to make inroads there, I'm telling you. Yeah, OK, all right, noted. Noted, it's on my to-do list. Uh, now, the last remaining uh, men's little section uh, that we are yet to discuss involves Daniil Medvedev, who is the tennis podcast listeners, or certainly the listeners uh, that are on Twitter, uh, favourite for the title. Are you about to quote a pole vault? Yeah, to to show up the ludicrousness of pole vault. I mean, I have <laughs> picked him for the title, but not because I think he's the favourite. He is obviously not the favourite. Oh, so your opinion's all right then? But no, well, I didn't vote in the pole vault. Obviously, <laughs> independently going and sourcing it. <sighs> okay. Well, Daniil Medvedev, the listeners' favourite for the title, won his first ever five-set match overnight. Um, he beat Filip Krajinovic of Serbia. He was two sets to love up. And I did I did see bit, bits of this and I've watched back highlights. I wonder if he, at two sets to love up and cruising, thought this could be a, a good opportunity to get over that five-set hump, Daniil. <laughs> Why don't you lose a couple of sets and storm back and win the fifth, <laughs> six love? Um, that is... That is the only plausible explanation I can find for for what happened in that tennis match. Does anybody else have any other suggestions? Did you see it, Matt? Yes. Yes, I did see it. And I think what happened is, as you said, he's two sets to love up and he's absolutely cruising. Krajanovic definitely started to play better, like a lot better. He really started to dictate the points and Medvedev was quite passive, just putting the ball in the court. And... That seemed to be the trigger for sending Medvedev into a spin. And he really started to spiral out of control there for half an hour or so. He was doing a, an awful lot of exclaiming in various languages, English, French and Russian, which we could hear all of it, as I said earlier, because of the lack of crowd. Um, and most of it seemed to be directed towards his box, where... Gilles Savara and is it his wife? I think it's his wife, isn't it? He's yes. married Medvedev, yeah. Was sitting. And so he loses that third set. Filip Kranovic is on a roll and Medvedev is spinning out of control. And then an extraordinary thing happens and Medvedev's coach grabs his bag and heads out the stadium. And it was very unclear at the time whether Medvedev had ordered him to leave or whether... He'd left to go to the toilet. To, well, well, given he'd taken you don't his take bag, your bag, David. Given he'd taken his bag, I assumed he was gone. But whether he just had enough or he'd been told to leave, I wasn't sure. I, I think it's emerged that he thought it would be best for Medvedev if he left. He took that decision himself to leave because my presence here is just making Medvedev angry for some reason, and he needs to calm down. And Medvedev is one of those people who, as we know, he can blow hot and cold very very quickly yes i'm going to quote you here matt because unlike david law you're 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 too humble to quote yourself <laughs> uh on twitter you said uh nobody loses their shit and then gets their shit together so extremely and hilariously and quickly 
as Daniil Medvedev. Yeah. And Good I stand line. by every word because yeah. mm. while this was going on, I was cracking up. It was hilarious. <laughs> it was really funny. Because he, 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 on his own, he would just suddenly go, unbelievable! <laughs> unbelievable! <laughs> yeah, it was exactly that. That is a brilliant impression, David. <laughs> also, for those without the benefit of the Zoom we're currently on, David was throwing his hands up in the air, just like Medvedev did. To looking to the sky when he said that and uh the thing about medvedev is he knows that it doesn't help him to get angry mm. but he just can't control it and then suddenly he can snap back into gear and he was every bit looking like someone who could be in the conversation for the favorite for the tournament in the fifth set he destroyed destroyed krajanovic in that fifth set and was brilliant the gear changes are extraordinary how much of a factor was the medical timeout he took at the end of the fourth set in that oh. gear change? John McEnroe all but said that it was a strategic medical timeout. <laughs> Hannah on our Twitter. I think it was Hannah at that time. It was Andrew. Oh, Andrew uh, described it as a medical timeout for brain cramp. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, look, he was 5-2 down. He was, uh, it was two sets to one up. He's 2-5 down. He takes this medical timeout. He's down on his stomach. He gets his back back pressed a bit and then he goes off the court to have it dealt with and there's quite a long break um i don't know whether his back's bad I, i'm not in his head that's the that's the really difficult thing about all this i'd stuff. love to be though <laughs> it's but by that time he'd already <laughs> his his coach had already left and i think his his coach was was just had just become his excuse mm. to to moan he was just there for him to moan at. And yeah, I think extricating himself and making him just face up to the match on his own terms. And again, it's it's the one thing about the five-set format. Personally, I like it. Some hate it. You have room to moan and feel sorry for yourself. And then suddenly you've got to focus your mind because there's the finish line. It's coming. I better get back in gear. And yeah, I can't believe that it didn't disrupt Kranovic's momentum. It's it's. It's hard not to, but Medvedev was brilliant when he came back out. So clearly his back's not that bad, is it? Um, and yeah, I think it probably was at least partially a strategic way to break it up. I think it might have been his glute that he was talking about because the because <laughs> the What's one trainer, well, the trainer said to him, would you like to go off court for this? And he said, well... If you think I should, <laughs> rather than, you know, get his arse out. <laughs> Berrettini would have gone, no, you're fine. Shorts are off. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> um, Medvedev had some interesting things to say about cake in the post-match press conference. Uh, said he's realised the importance of diet um, and eats really well during tournaments. Um, but then when he lets himself go... He, he really lets himself go and said, I'm one of those people that's really annoying because I just eat like five chain eat cake and I can't seem to put on even a pound. So I hate him. Daniil <laughs> um, uh, Medvedev now play. He said he's got five cakes in his hotel room. I mean, you had a pack of six the other day for your birthday. Yeah, and I'm, e I'm eating them, but he's got them in his hotel room and is saving them for whenever his tournament comes to an end. Well, if you're intending to go all the way, Daniil, those cakes will have gone off. Mm. I think That's he's just... Not... Maybe he's just assuming that the prize money will probably get him a few more if he needs it. I mean, sure, but don't jump the gun and buy the cakes in advance then. <laughs> maybe it focuses his mind. 
Maybe he's looking at those cakes in the corner of the room and thinking, if I win this title, I get to have those. And if I don't, I get to just have them anyway. And it's not just cake. You said he's got tiramisu (laughs) and other sugary delights. Yes, a a sweet tooth. Um, He now plays Mackenzie McDonald in the fourth round. Um, He's a heck of a story, Mackenzie McDonald. He is the first, it's his first time in the fourth round of a slam. Uh, He beat Lloyd Harris, uh, the South African in straight sets. Mackenzie McDonald tore a hamstring in a doubles match at Roland Garros 2019, which is a massive injury. That would, that can end careers. Uh, He had to have a a very major surgery. He couldn't walk for two months. Um, In terms of sort of building up the the strength and the loading he could do on on that leg, it, it took, months and months and then didn't play for the whole of 2019 and then I don't know if you've heard but a pandemic happened um so it's been it's been a a rotten old time for Mackenzie McDonald but here he is in the fourth fourth round of a slam for the first time and uh, Medvedev was asked about McDonald and he said he plays a bit like Roger meaning Federer and this was put to Mackenzie McDonald and he said that's probably the best compliment I've ever gotten with a huge so, smile on his face, he said. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't. I can't remember him watching him. Of course, he played Dan. Oh, Evans, didn't David, he? I can. I commentated on Mackenzie McDonald against Milos Raonic at Wimbledon 2018, and it was dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he does not play like Federer. No, I mean, not even close not to playing like Federer. No, but he's a maximizer and a and a good player. But well, the yeah. never heard is Federer a called a maximizer before. Well, no, he <laughs> plays nothing like Roger Federer. <laughs> is he sure he's got the right Roger? But I'm. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, who else could it be? What, Roger Moore? <laughs> I, I don't know another Roger tennis Daltrey. player called Roger. Um, but something's, something's up. I don't know. <laughs> I, I need to go and watch Mackenzie McDonald anyway, just I'm, to put it out of my mind. It's just a, a mind game for Medvedev. Yeah, it, it, inaccurate or not, it was a, it, it obviously meant a lot to him that compliment. So I'm I'm pleased. I'm pleased he enjoyed it. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, 
Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Moving on to the women's side of things, uh, where should we start? Where would you like to start with this? Ash Barty. Okay. Who I think is play, who I think benefited from no crowd today, and um, I'm mm. sure that's might be a bit awkward. And she, you know, I think she might have even admitted that actually afterwards. She did. Yeah. She said, David, um, in her on court interview with Casey Delacqua, maybe it's a little rude of me, but I quite like the sound. I love the crowd, but I love the sound that the ball makes. It sounds a little bit like practice. You get to fully appreciate her game in the silence of course this is the first time we've ever seen it because she's she didn't play in any of the pandemic tournaments at all and if you love watching somebody go about their craft watching her in silence uh, against somebody who just doesn't have that in her game in a Katarina Alexandrova I just loved it I was just watching all these options that are clearly before her eyes and her choosing which one to go with in this silence i just loved it it wasn't wasn't without its little wobbles breakdown in in both sets is that just because alexandra is a decent player on a on a very decent confident run of run of form rather than any any worry about ash barty whose whose right thigh is still still very heavily strapped yeah i mean there were certainly some initial worry, I would say, in the match. Alexandra jumped out to a two-love lead and I was certainly thinking, oh goodness, is is Ashbarty's leg a problem here? But it kind of reminded me of the third round match, actually, that Barty played last year at the Australian Open when she played Rabatkina, who came in on this incredibly strong run of form and is a big hitter and has weapons. And I think people thought maybe she could cause Barty some problems. But you realise when you watch this match that Barty, I think Hannah Wilkes might have used the word instrument on our Twitter to to describe the weapons. And Barty is a perfectly tuned instrument. Every shot is note perfect and well chosen and you know what it's going to be. Whereas Alexandrova is an out of tune instrument. Occasionally she'll hit the right note and she'll hit a blazing winner. And yet a lot of the time she'll just hit a massive unforced error as well and she can't sustain it in the way that Barty can and by the end Barty was sort of carving her up and moving her all around the court and I agree with David it's a, it a joy to watch her play like that. She now plays Shelby Rogers who beat Annette Contivate 6-4-6-3 in the big match of the day they got the top billing on Rod Laver Arena I'm not sure we'll ever know why with all due respect to those two um, Shelby Rogers being happy is a very infectious thing, isn't it? And you know she's she's been through a lot injury wise. She had a I think she had a run to the fourth round at the U.S. Open as well last year. You know these are these are big results for her. Um, it's a very different game to Ash Barty's, isn't it? In terms of it's kind of the opposite of everything you've just said in terms of options. She's going to do what she's going to do. Big hitter movement is is not her forte so much, but but it's somehow pleasing to see her doing well. Oh, she seems really nice. Um, she's she's going to have to try to blow 
Vardy off the court with power. Mm. The problem is, I'm sure that's what Alexandrova thought, and I'm sure that's what Rebecca thought last mm. year. The problem you have is that you you're, you're constantly off balance. It's really hard to generate blistering power against somebody who's just redirecting the ball and putting it in horrible places. So bless you. Um, I think that that's um, that's a problem for 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 any of these big hitters. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that works against Ash Barty. No, I just I, I think if you are Naomi Osaka and you have movement as well, mm. uh, or you are Serena Williams and maybe Arena Sabalenka who have such overwhelming power that you may not get your racket on the ball a lot of the time, certainly off the serve, then that's a different story. But I think if you're an aggressive baseliner, you're going to just end up hitting shots you don't want to be hitting a lot of the time off your ankles. Well, good luck, Shelby Rogers, uh, in that in her first ever fourth round at the Australian Open. That will be in a couple of days' time. Bad day for Estonians. Uh, Contevate lost, as I said, as did Kaya Kanepi. She held too much points in that match against Donna Vekic, uh, who's into the fourth round of the Australian Open also for the first time. She great fight re- back. Really great fight back, and she was so emotional afterwards, Vekic. Um, I was really taken by that comeback because it's not like Kanepi blew it, I didn't think. Um, I saw the closing stages of it and it was so, so close. And I've often thought of Vekic as somebody who is maybe a little unable to handle the physicality of some of these matches. And yet she's up against one of the most brutal hitters in, in a really difficult physical match. And she wouldn't back down and she overcame her. I thought it was really something. Yeah, she was all heart. As you said in that interview, she was so emotional. She could barely get words out. And then Mm. there was some backstage footage, as there always is at the Australian Open. And she was having a little cry in the corridor just off the court. She put her bags down and just it meant so much to her to to dig that one out, I think. Uh, But who does she play next, David? Oh, well, it's Jen Brady, isn't it? Um, <laughs> oh, hang on. It's Jen now. Yeah, you know. And she's just destroyed another opponent. Um, yeah, middling America. Middling American having a decent run during a pandemic. Until? She's she's still having a decent run during a pandemic, David. Well, she is, yeah. You know, we're, we try we try to underplay things, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's beaten Kai Yuvan in straight sets. Um, this match played on day six of the tournament and she faced her first break point. Mm. And, and, and that was a six... No, hold on a minute. I think that was about a 17-minute game that she fought her way out of. Uh, and, and it was incredible, really. But she um, she just looks so at home. And, and almost now that there's no crowd, it's even more familiar because these are the circumstances with which she burst on the scene last summer and won that title and ended up in the semi-finals of the US Open. Let's not forget it was Naomi Osaka that she played. I mean, that's how well she was playing to to go toe-to-toe and nearly beat Osaka. So, I mean, I I would make her the favourite against Vekic. I mean, I've got her in the semi-finals. So, um, yeah, she's she's playing really, really well. Uh, She was one of back-to-back winners on the John Kane Arena, Jessica Bagula. Uh, one on that court just before her, and wrote on the camera, camera as she was leaving the court, let's go, Jen Brady. <laughs> so that worked, didn't yeah. it? Pagula, uh, sorry, Matt. Well, I was going to say, there's the, I really enjoy the spirit and the 
camaraderie between those American women. I mean, you've got Brady, Pagula and Shelby Rogers all in that top half. And they've all really improved over the last year to 18 months. They've they've developed into reliable players on the tour who can have big wins and go pretty deep in slams. And they seem to really root for each other. As you said, they're writing each other's names on the camera. And I, I just I just really like the atmosphere between them. It's a very collegiate spirit, isn't mm. it? And of course, Jen, Jen, Jen Brady <laughs> uh, came through. She was a, I think they're called the Bruins, the UCLA yeah, they tennis are. team. And Mackenzie McDonald came through, was a Bruins player as well. Um, so it, yeah, it, it does have that vibe about it. Pagula uh, beat Christina Mladenovic 6-2-6-1. She's into the second week of a major for the first time in her career and has done so without dropping a set. Uh, Andrew uh, said on Twitter, it's a level of dominance reminiscent of the Buffalo Bills versus the Jets. <laughs> and of course, she owns the Buffalo Bills and he's a Buffalo Bills supporter. So yes. Who are the Jets, though? New York New York Jets. Jets. Yeah. Right. So that's a derby. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I asked Andrew in the middle of the night what she is like as a player, because I haven't really seen a lot of pagula and he's like our pagula correspondent he is a bit and he said i said you know how does she compare to brady for instance i'm looking for tips you know to see if i can maybe <laughs> snare another one uh to my little group uh, but no um andrew said that the thing is she hits the ball much much flatter and she's got one of the smallest clearances over the net of all the players so if it goes off it can go off in a big way whereas with Brady, there's just more margin for error because it's much more of a whippy, topspin-based game. I mean, she's lost 13 games in three matches, Pagula, against Azarenka, Stoza, and who was it today? Kiki Mladenovic. I mean, those are those are tough opponents that she's swatted away. Um, and it's it's kind of become a theme now isn't it whenever we whenever we mention pagula we mention the buffalo bills because that was kind of one of the only things we knew about her a year ago or so but she gave some really interesting comments about the fact that her parents have these links to sports and when she was a bit younger sort of making her way in her career she really wanted to break away and not be associated with her parents and sort of form her own identity whereas now she's really tried to embrace the fact that she's got these family ties and obviously she's very aware that she's got you know a privileged upbringing and you know she had loads of money and could afford to travel to tournaments and that kind of thing but there was there was part of her that needed to become herself rather than just be the daughter of the buffalo bills owners if that makes sense and i think she's Mm. kind of she's kind of realizing that now and yeah, she's she's growing into herself and her results are following. That's really interesting. She um she said on the court that she completely she she made an effort to completely change her mindset for 2021 from in her own words trying to win one round at a slam to thinking why can't I go deep at a slam? Well, that's worked. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out it's really simple <laughs> to just do more of that <laughs> yeah um jessica pagula now plays alina svitolina who dispatched uh yulia putin save a 6-4-6 love um that should be a good match it's quite contrast pagula against yeah svitolina that's what i'm pleased about really because 
those are the matches that are the best to watch, aren't they, really? Um, seeing, I, I find Svitolina against another retriever or counterpuncher is quite a hard watch sometimes. And yet, mm. put her up against a big hitter and I find it, it's really fascinating. Mm. Yeah, well, that'll be in two days' time. Uh, what else do we have in the top half of the women's draw? We have Karolina Pliskova has crashed out, 7575 to Karolina Mukova. Mm. I'm questioning that now. It is Karolina, isn't it? I've not it just is. got Karolina on the brain. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah. Um, she this this was a dramatic one. I I stayed. I didn't sort of consciously stay up to watch this. I I generally stay up to watch the first match of the night, and this was this was the one on the Rod Laver Arena. Um, it was eventful for Pliskova, so she loses. The first set it was quite nip and tuck. That first set, she so she gets a first warning for racket abuse uh, for throwing her racket. Then she heads off the court after the first set for a bathroom break. She takes that racket with her and throws it down in the tunnel, the same racket, and she receives a point penalty um, for a second warning. She she was unaware that you could receive two warnings for abusing the same racket. I think she thought it had to be different rackets. Wow. She wasn't Didn't, particularly complaining about that. I was unaware she of wasn't, that. Didn't she also say something like, I thought off the court I could do whatever I like? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what she did in the bathroom? Um, so that happens, and it seems very much to have worked. She comes back on court after the bathroom break and after the racket abuse and point penalty or not, she goes five love up in the second set and then loses seven games in a row to lose the match. She served for that set twice. She had two set points. Um, In the end, she hit 40 unforced errors, only 23 winners, 10 double faults. Um, as Andrew said on Twitter, and I completely agree with this, no rhythm, no energy, no plan B. And look, that was partly down to Mukova. She didn't give her any rhythm. I love Mukova's game. I love her her mentality on the court. But it's now been two years since, since Pliskova had reached, uh, has reached a slam quarterfinal. Um, and again, Andrew said on Twitter, I imagine this is a result that is going to prompt some soul-searching for Pliskova. So I went to her press conference and I know, you know, she's she's very straightforward and she doesn't often give that much in terms of emo- emotion, but it was a strikingly unsoul-searchy press conference. I thought it was very much like, yeah, I'm not playing playing my best and there's some things I need to work on and I'm disappointed about today, but, you know, it happens and she played well. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, it might, it might just be her way, and then she might be a mess when she goes home, and, and May- this maybe. Might, might be the start of mm. the of the the journey that ends up making her fulfilled potential. But well, it's been going on for years, hasn't it? Uh, at Grand Slams, um, we were talking about expectations, and I, I I went back and had a look at all of the predictions from 2017, 2018, and 2019 that I made about. Pliskova, because I found one where I put her in the final uh, in in my predictions, and that was in the Australian Open last year. I, I thought she'd get to the final. So obviously, I'd been won over by that. But before that, 
not once. I'd got her in quarterfinals and and then one semi-final. You um, might not have done specifics, David, but I vividly remember you saying that you saw Grand Slam finals between the Pliskova sisters. Yeah, no, you're right. In your crystal ball. Yeah, no, this, this would be probably going back to about twenty. It was to, to be fair. Like it was when I think that was off the back of. Uh, Carolina Pliska reaching that US Open final. Mm, yeah, and, and, uh, and, and to I, be fair, think, if you'd asked anybody then, I think Christina will she reach more. Christina started said, yeah. a, started a season, and I remember her beating Dominika Sibylkova, and I was just it, it was incredible how well she played that day, and I I couldn't understand why these two weren't right at the top of the game. I couldn't understand mm. it. Um, I still can't really, in some ways, but I mean. <laughs> There's something missing, and now I think it's probably become, I don't know what you two think, it must be now a really big psychological barrier that when she's getting to these slams that she's waiting for it to go wrong or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there's, with her game and her serve, you shouldn't be losing five love leads against anyone. That's <sighs> that's psychological, mm. for and, sure. And works both ways, doesn't it? Because opponents know that she's vulnerable now and particularly opponents that know her inside out as yeah. Carolina Mukova does yeah and they can they can sense a little bit of weakness I'm sure um and look her strategy has been changing coach Pliskova doesn't turn up at a tournament playing any differently ever when it's on she's very very good and tends to be on just the week before a slam <laughs> not this year but that's been her trademark over the last couple of seasons and that's I think one of the things which has kept giving us belief that she would finally crack it at a slam but you don't you don't see well I don't see much internal motivation to want to develop as a tennis player um, and I don't know it's it strikes me that she's often thought oh well changing a coach that will be the fresh impetus that I need and that is just it's just not working. I think eventually it's, you've got to just look at yourself a little bit more. Um, mm. Otherwise, it's, it's just going to keep happening. And look, she's had, she's had a great career. She has reached a Grand Slam final. She's been world number one. She's won big titles. But as long as she doesn't overcome this record at slams, there will always be that question mark, I think, next to her name. Uh, Mukova, who who really was good, she now plays Elise Mertens, who destroyed Belinda Bencic six two six one. That was also amazing. From our, also from our Twitter, Mertens so often looks brilliant at a major, right up to the point that she doesn't. Yeah. Which is it, isn't it? Mm. And maybe that point will be later in this slam than in other slams. But she's a bit Rublev like she she really beats the people that she's supposed to beat. Yeah, I think that's a. That's a good comparison. And probably the reason she's not got the ranking of, of Rublev is because there's more people like that in the in the women's game. Um that was that was for me the, the starkest match yet in terms of illustrating that the rankings and the seedings are a little bit all over the place. I I couldn't believe that Bengsic was seeded seven spots higher than Mertens. Um, she's obviously got a lot of 2019 points still on her ranking, Bengshik. Um I think particularly from, is it Shenzhen? I think she did well in Shenzhen in 2019. But Mertens has been such a relevant player for the last year. She won 34 matches last season and Bengshik won eight. Mertens for me was a heavy favourite going into that match. I didn't think it would be as one-sided as it was, but 
yeah, it's, it was just it was just really striking when you saw those two seedings next to their names. That's another interesting fourth round match: uh, Mertens against Mukova. Um, they all are really. There's there's none now that I'm not looking forward to. I'm I'm hopeful that from now on things will kind of even up a bit in terms of the two the two halves of things. Um, there is obviously still this discrepancy between the two halves. I mean, I think all the matches are interesting, but um, on the, in the top half of the women's draw, there's one Grand Slam final appearance, and that's Ash Barty. And in the bottom half, there's 47 Grand Slam final Whoa. appearances. Obviously, Serena accounts for a lot of those, but you've also got Halep, Sviantec, Vondrosheva, Osaka, and Muguruza, who've all reached And that's Grand not Slam even Matt Stat. To be honest, that is better than Matt Stat. I came out with <laughs> Matt Stat early today and found found this one late, and th- this one is better. <laughs> Another quality tease. <laughs> Get on the newsletter. <laughs> yeah. um, how's this for a tease of uh, what we'll be talking about on tomorrow's podcast? This is the day seven order of play at the Australian Open. Kicks off at midnight UK time with uh, Garbini Muguruza against Naomi Osaka on the Rod Laver Arena. Okay, then. Um, then it's Arena Sabalenka against Serena Williams. Right, yep, up for that. Uh, Sabalenka, incidentally, the bookie's favourite for that one. Not sure how I feel about that. Then it's Dominic Team against Grigor Dimitrov. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the night session is Iga Svantec against Simona Halep. Yes, please. Then it's Novak Djokovic against Milos Raonic, which ordinarily wouldn't be a yes, please, but it might be a bit more interesting not that I'm hoping that Djokovic I mean I hope he steps onto the court fully fit tomorrow but the news the news that we've had uh, this is from ESPN is that he came to Melbourne Park on Saturday uh, to seek approval from Tennis Australia to get a scan I think because of lockdown rules uh, approval was required uh, a scan on his oblique and he didn't practice um, so yeah I hope he's fully fit but that match up with Raonic would ordinarily have frankly no intrigue surrounding it at all because Djokovic just beats around it easily but it's you know potentially more of a story tomorrow one way or another uh, the Yvonne Gulagong arena starts with uh, Shea against Vondrosheva oh I mean I need two screens then right carry on <laughs> uh, then Auger Eliassime against Aslan Karatsev Catherine's new favourite look yeah <laughs> Uh, then there is some doubles featuring uh, uh, Nick Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokonakis. So that's happening. And then it's Dusan Lajevic against Alexander Zverev. Uh, incidentally, Herbert Mau were going on well in the doubles. They're first up on court three, Matt, if you want to catch a bit of that. Uh, and just checking out the John Kane Arena. No, this is when the John Kane Arena goes goes out of commission. No. Okay. Wow. It ha- it suddenly happens, doesn't it? It goes from tennis, tennis everywhere to, wow, tennis some places and not others. Matt, Matt, Matt and I have been discussing strategy about how to consume all of this, given that I have to commentate on the night session starting at, at uh, 8 a.m. UK time. We're on air from 7 on BBC Radio 5 Live, Sports Extra. And um, so I've decided it's 3 in the afternoon right now. If I go to bed at 6 p.m., I can have six hours sleep and wake up at midnight. You could go to bed even a bit earlier than that, David. I mean, what time West Brom playing today? They're not. Tomorrow, so I'm all right. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, you're in the clear. What's um, your strategy, Catherine? J- I'm just going to stay up for as long as I can. Okay. Might even do an all-nighter. So there may be not a podcast tomorrow, thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about a potential lull. Um, if there's a lull, then I probably won't be able to keep my eyes open. I need it to... I need the hits to keep coming. Right. Okay. I'll yeah. send you yeah. some uh, Daniel Medvedev gifts to keep you going. <laughs> yes, please. That would be great. Um, just a f- final bit of uh, tennis news for you. Andy Murray is playing in a challenger event in Biella. Yep. Which is in Italy. Mm-hmm. Yep. This week. And he's in the semifinals. Uh, and in that semifinal, he will play Matthias Borg, who I remember him playing at the French Open in 2016, mm. the year he reached the final, I think it was it was one of those matches where, as Boris Becker referenced after his charge, Djokovic beat Andy Murray in the final. He expended a lot of extraneous time and drama on the court. Um, mm. It was Borg and Stepanek back to back five setters in the first two rounds. Yes. Um, oh, so we miss Andy the, Murray. We do. He's the top seed at that semi-finals. He beat Blas Roller in his quarter-final. And um, before that, he'd beaten um, Maximilian Martyr. Um So, yeah, I think you can watch that via the ATP Challenger website. Yeah. So just a line that from Mike Dixon that really resonated with me that Here's Andy Murray with with three Sports Personality of the Year awards. He's a, a knight of the realm. He's a multimillionaire. He's won Grand Slam titles, Davis Cup, two Olympic golds. And there he is fighting his backside off in, in a challenger whilst the Australian Open's going on. I mean, it says, every, amazing, it says everything it? about his appetite, yeah. doesn't it? And good luck to him. Yeah. Mm. It's, his, it's his personal way of dealing with FOMO. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's great. So, um, yeah, if you want to follow his progress, you can do. We'll be back. We'll keep you updated on it. Um, and we'll be back with another Grand Slam Daily tomorrow uh, when Crumble will still be our mascot. Hello, Crumble. Hope you enjoyed Crumble content in our newsletter. Uh, if you don't get our newsletter, you should. Um, slightly underwhelming Matt stat coming up today. So get yourself <laughs> get yourself signed up. Link in the show notes. Um, and definitely underwhelming predictions coming every day. Oh, yeah. Uh, no more Radio Albot for me. Um, Zeus is my mascot. Hello, Zeus. And Billie Jean King is Billie Jean. She's behaved for this podcast. It was looking dicey in the uh, in the lead up. <laughs> but she uh, she fell asleep at just the right moment. Rogue is yours, David. Yeah, right, Rogue. And Scousel Mousel is yours, Matt. Yes. Hello, Scousel Mousel. Chris Albert Lee is our top bloke executive producer. And our shout outs today, Matt, are for Fiona Cool. No. I mean, Fiona, you're so cool. That's oh, so cool. David. I mean, you don't on. need to say it. Yeah, but I did. I want it. <laughs> it's C O U double L. So I, I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. That, I mean,. Great. We don't need to say anything about that. It's brilliant. David's uh, already ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I apologise for my pronunciation of this name. Taja Bayer? Taya Bayer? I'm, I'm really well, not this, sure. We're in Sasha Bayer territory here, mm. aren't we? T-E-J-A-B-A-Y-A. 
Taya. Uh, I will go with that. What What was the pronunciation of uh, Sasha Bayan that you heard again, Matt? Sasha Bajan. <laughs> it's not that. Could we do something Azerbaijani with this name? <laughs> Let's try not to offend. <laughs> oh, maybe I should say that to myself. Um, Taya, um, thanks ever so much for supporting the podcast. Taya or Taja, whatever way around it is, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. And finally, Layla, backer number 262. Just Layla. Just right, Layla. Layla. Like the song. No, not like the song. Spelt differently. Thanks, Layla. <laughs> what song's that? Um, Sing it. Is it uh, <laughs> you think you've Lila, you Lila by Oasis? No, no. Um, Layla, you got me on my knees. Layla. Oh, yes. It's the first time I've ever heard Matt sing. It is. What a note to finish on. <laughs> oh, God. This slightly disappointing podcast has all <laughs> been worth it. Join us for more tomorrow when we'll try and follow that, but we'll probably fail. Uh, we'll speak to you then. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.